here, here's a question. When did you get into like, um, were you like an intellectuals admin? <laughs> um, I, a lot of people have thought that, uh, I was never actually on the account, but I was, um, a, a member of a larger group chat where most of the admins were. And from the way that I understand the story, that was the origin of that account. Um, but I was not incredibly active on it. So this was one of these, you know, group DMs that runs like 24 hours a day for months and months. And I would maybe be in there, you know, once a week or something like that. So I can't really take credit. Um, I was uh, very fascinated. I think it's one of the biggest or most rapid growth trajectories of a shit posty type meme account. I, it went from like zero to 20 something K in uh, a matter of weeks. Yeah, so, it was. That's how I met my friend Trevor actually through them, through that little thing. And before I seen that account, I was like, you know, I kind of knew of like Politogram or whatever, but I had no idea that there was so much of like connectiveness to like these certain things. Right? Like I would see, you know, like some TikTok or whatever on there. And then like on the next post, it will be like fucking Michelle Foucault or something, <laughs> you know, some meme about. And I'm like, whoa, like, you know, there's there's like some real there's like some real kind of shit in here. And it's very political. It's not just like, you know, shit posting and kind of memes. And like from there on, I was like, whoa, this Instagram thing is kind of interesting. Yeah, the uh, the highs and lows of internet discourse is, uh, I think, endlessly fascinating to me. And it's been, you know, at times a uphill battle to get people to take this stuff seriously. Uh, it's been more easy recently because uh, maybe because actual real world politics has become so cartoonish that now the online cartoons seem relatively more reasonable. But, yeah, uh, intellectual Ben Garrison really type cartoons are now like real life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we are we're beyond irony and beyond satire for for a while. Yeah, I, I think intellectuals though had um, it was really the quality of the content and the frequency of posting, and it just captured that that voice or that that chaotic uh, gamut, all those antagonistic influences that are you know political internet culture. So uh, it was a very very interesting arc to watch. Yeah, what that reminds me of is like um, in my piece that I'm kind of working on, one thing that interested me when I was uh, doing research on this is like, and like just like ex like my personal experience just getting on fucking Instagram and shit uh, was like the such close proximity of the physical space of like, like let's say like, you know, maybe more back in the day, you like read a newspaper or, you know, you like watch cable news. And then you get on your computer to play video games or fucking like 4chan or whatever and like memes. But like now with social media um, and kind of like Instagram, like not only like like we're Facebook, really. And I also did research with like majority. There's like some 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 study that were like the majority of people get their news from social media like Facebook. And it's like not only on the same app are you getting political information and your news like in some instances, people are getting their news from from memes, you know, like not only are you finding memes and political information on Facebook, you know, like like uh, you'll find, you know, like, oh, Trump just fucking killed the, the Iranian general or whatever. And then right below it, you see a World War uh, three meme. You know, it's like now I remember like I, me waking up, I get on Instagram and I'm like, oh, what was his name? Like General Soleimani or some shit like that. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, oh, you know, I see these like World War Three memes. And I'm like, what the fuck, you know? And then I see some meme that he, that, you know, Trump, you know, with that bomb or whatever. And then I was like, whoa, I just found out about this political, this piece of political news, which traditionally people would find on, you know, cable news or a newspaper. And I just found it through a fucking meme. You know what I'm saying? And like, I wonder how many people, especially on Instagram, you know, they're not really like reading fucking Jacobin articles or anything like that. You know, they're just kind of slightly into politics. Like how many of these people are getting their political news through memes like themselves, you know? Yeah, I think the answer is an extraordinary number would be my inclination. Yeah, yeah. I, this I mean, was a completely, this was not a thing like 10, five years ago. Yeah, it's been on a very steep uh, incline. I mean, I, I, I think 2016 is its own phenomena where this stuff really starts to break loose. But we, we were already, uh, all the trend lines seem to indicate that, you know, people are gravitating away from these, uh, you know, legacy media uh, places into to online sources that are increasingly less and less reputable. Um, I do think, though, we need to um, be very vicious and critical of uh, uh journalism and the the news media industry in general because there's a hazard in this where um you know we can talk about people getting their news through memes as being a negative thing and the unintended uh implication that people or the unintended interpretation that people might walk away from that with is that we should go back to to uh, mainstream media exactly exactly. yeah and it's like no 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 that's might be worse in some instances yeah, yeah, it's I mean this is um this is one of those fun kind of tight ropes to walk because you uh you know you you have to kind of say like no no they're both bad and we need an alternative but it, generally I mean um it seems very clear to me that a lot of people are getting their news through memes a lot of people are getting their news through screenshots of a headline and an image be- beneath it that illustrates which is essentially mm. a top text meme format meme anyway. that is basically a meme wow just exactly. a screenshot of the article wow right. and so as the uh journalistic standards have become <laughs> increasingly lower and lower and more clickbaity and just the attention economy of social media has forced them to make that change uh where you find like listicles and outrage clickbait and, and whatever um comparatively the the rigor and uh integrity of memes has has gone up so there's a kind of dynamic equilibrium where these two lines are uh, are, are heading apart from each other but it's become very you know unclear now what is it that you're looking at which is just this you know top text reaction pick image like is this someone is this written by somebody who has a phd or is this written by a teenager who's like um in between classes you know what i mean right so, uh, yeah it's it's a complicated landscape to say the least yeah have you um read matt taibbi's book hating uh i have not i am um i'm aware of him and i try to stay up to date on these things but um i have not read his book yeah um that like also reading your article or your piece that came out of the guardian today like some bits of that really reminded me of that of like his book and it's like you know general like hating it's kind of self-explanatory but it's just like you know like from what the internet and like um cable news and like you know the polarization it's like we're made to hate each other or whatever from and it's like you know the internet has only accelerated that or whatever there was an interesting um 
there was an interesting part in your piece where you talk about how, you know, like not only are, uh, you know, you say like, you know, the majority of, um, of, of discourse around like, you know, the kind of uh, radicalization, um, online radicalization has been about like the recommendation algorithms or, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, for, for listeners, you know, the idea of like, you know, you have a, you, you watch a Ben Shapiro video or whatever, and then you get, you know, PewDiePie videos, you get, you get, you, uh, YouTube, uh, recommends you more and more of this kind of content. And then like at, at the end of the day, you're like a Nazi or whatever. Um, <laughs> but you talk about how not, not only is it really that it's, it's kind of, it can be more complex than that. And it's like, in a lot of the cases, you know, people go down these ideological rabbit holes you know, you say not because they're cynically misled by platforms, but because they cannot find satisfactory answers in mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that kind of reminds me of Matt Taibbi's book, Hating, because he talks about how, oh, his book is supposed to be this like updated version of manufacturing consent. Um, mm-hmm. How Noam Chomsky, you know, could have never imagined, you know, he says like, you know, like Noam Chomsky could have never imagined the effect cable news would have on politics in the last 30 years, you know, on the internet and shit. So he's like, he's like, he felt like he needed to write, you know, like a revised version of manufacturing consent. And as I was reading manufacturing, or as I was reading Hate Inc., I've realized, you know, like Matt Taibbi has no idea what the effects of social media will be on politics, like the just, just the next five years, as increasingly more and more people especially young people are getting their news and political education through YouTube and Instagram and shit like that. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Or like, do you have any predictions of like what this will look like in the next five years? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, such a layered issue. Um, Maybe just to drop a few references here. So people have a proper orientation for this stuff. Um, I think the, uh, the funnel or the pipeline, whatever term you prefer, is, uh, I think, pretty well-trod territory that most people are familiar with. But generally, this involves um, becoming politicized on social media and um, uh, slowly wading into more and more radical ideas that is also part of the advertising model of specifically sites like YouTube, where they they want to create longer user engagement and uh, show you ads in between the videos. So they keep you keep you watching. And um, the classic examples from um, Zeynep Tufekci, uh, where she says, if you watch a video about vegetarianism, the next one behind it is veganism. Uh, and then maybe the next one behind it is you only eat fruits that's fallen off a tree or something like that. But it's, it's this slow escalation of uh, a similar trend of ideas that uh, keeps you hooked and keeps you, pulls you down the rabbit hole, so to speak. Um, so there's a few, um, you know, maybe we'll give just some mainstream examples of this. Uh, rabbit hole, coincidentally, is the, uh, the title of a New York Times uh, podcast series uh, by journalist Kevin Roos that begins with uh, Faraday Speaks and his Oh my his God, that video. fucking kid, Faraday Speaks. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I mean, it was a very important uh, uh, example of this stuff that was purely theoretical before. I think a lot of people had, had theorized this, but we didn't have the quantitative data or the qualitative mm-hmm. story. Um, Kevin Roos is also the, uh, the author of um, a, a very lengthy piece that has uh, all of Faraday Speaks' um, his, his viewing history, um, uh, the making of a YouTube radical is the title of the article. Uh, preceding this, though, we, we do have to mention there's a um, there's a report from Data and Society called the Alternative Influence Network by Becca Lewis, and this is uh, generally kind of um, showing how this process works, where you can trace 
the cross pollination between different channels and different people platforming others. And you can, you know, in some roundabout type of, you know, recommendation sort of way, you can move from people who are just outside the mainstream, like a PragerU or a Steven Crowder. And within a few years uh, time of viewing or, or, you know, a few clicks, you can end up into the way far off, just unhinged Nazi territory and, and everything. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that is, um, Sorry, that's my long circuitous route of just saying that these are these are things that are pretty much well documented and understood in the the online discourse currently. I think um, that being said, within that there is a hazard that people can miss uh, <laughs> the real unfolding material crisis around us. <laughs> um, that you know, for forty years, uh, wages and productivity have been divergent, and the you know the less people who are able to access the benefits of the mainstream, um, the the more people move to the uh, political fringes, and uh, and then you see you know a rise on the right of uh, you know this expansion of the Overton window, uh, seeing ascendant nationalism throughout all of the developed world, pretty much, uh, but also a resurgence of socialism. Uh, you know, so it's not the the Overton window has certainly moved towards the right in terms of privatization and the neoliberal turn and 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 that that arc specifically of uh, America, but also of Europe. Um, but there is, you know, a pretty much uh, I think a universal expansion. Uh, unfortunately, the left has not been performing very well given the current circumstances. Uh, but <laughs> my hope, my hope is that through this process, we're actually just a few years behind. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of the work I've been doing is I've been talking to people who went down these similar rabbit holes and have now somehow found an exit ramp. Um, a lot of them have become interested in left-wing ideas. Uh, people don't tend to become depoliticized. They tend to make a 180. So, you know, I, I've been calling this uh, political refraction, for lack of a better term. But, um, yeah, I just I, I wanted to write that piece specifically to try and um float this idea on a mainstream platform and just get people thinking about social media as being um that belief systems are in motion because in in an age of really unprecedented political division people have generally forgotten that um it's possible to recruit people and to change people's minds and i just wanted to you know really show that that was still possible and it's actually it's happening it's happening in a way that a lot of people aren't aware of yeah. And um, one thing that was also interesting about like what you, a lot of what you talk about in your work is how this kind of difference between millennials and uh, Gen Z or whatever. And it was funny because like you mentioned, like a lot of Gen Z doesn't really care about monetizing their kind of their their um, Internet personality or whatever their platform. But that goddamn Faraday speaks kid, he really didn't make his fucking <laughs> career. He made a career off this shit, man, off. And like, I remember when this happened and there was so much like, oh, I bet he's lying. I bet he did this to like, mm -hmm. you know, and he, you know, now he has like a Patreon and a YouTube channel and it looks a little weird or whatever. Right. Um, Can I just I, sorry to be the contrarian, but I mean, I, I remember all the conspiracy theories. I remember people were saying that like, oh, he's part of some group. Oh, I didn't really get in deep into the theories, but I bet there has to be plenty of them. I, I do think, though, that after he made that video and the way that it blew up, you know, some people say it's mm -hmm. cynical to start the Patreon. I think basically the rest of his life, he's going to be subject to just an unreal level of online harassment from these dudes. So his career options may literally just be being an online guy 
You know what I mean? So I'm I'm pretty sympathetic to uh to I'm sympathetic situation. too, because it's like if he if it is real, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. No, that is a good point. That is a good point. My thing was this, I was always fucking jealous. You know what I'm saying? And it was like, <laughs> I guess my that's my that's my kind of uh bias. Also, and also like your piece, uh, Marxist memes for TikTok teens, you talk about how in, in the uh, kind of left leaning media landscape, we have like, there's like a lot, there's just a shit ton of content overflowing, like just disproportionately, there's just more content about issues of social justice, such as Black Lives Matter, police abolition, transgender rights, but a severe lack of economic or material analysis to follow it up as you, as you uh, state. And also, you know, you mentioned like, you know, like right now we're in a, you're in like a crisis or whatever the coronavirus and, and people are jobless. So like right now would be a pretty good time to have a material analysis. But I guess like my estimation is that we lack economic or material analysis because of the structure of, of media, especially social media and how the algorithms, um, and this kind of goes into like the Faraday speech uh, thing, um, and how like, you know, algorithms favor cultural issues, you know, um, uh, you know, like how the alt-right and the off-left, uh, alt-right and like the left have these kind of cultural uh, divides or whatever. And like, like, you know, Faraday speaks like that, that blew up because it was that exact idea of this kind of divisiveness or whatever between like alt-right and these kind of cultural, cultural issues or whatever. But like, my idea is like we we lack an economic or material analysis because you know how the algorithms favor cultural issues like black lives matter and trans rights because they're divisive topics and they divide us and they make us you know like hate each other and that's statistically shown over and over again is shown to us like that makes way more money for the media industry than unifying topics such as class um and the thing with a lot of these people going into the right or the alt-right or whatever is that if people don't feel like the left is addressing their material needs they'll have no choice but to go to the right and um that's how we got trump um so my question is uh how can we get over this difficulty and bring about a material analysis in the online left that is exciting to young people in other words how can we sell a material analysis to this new generation of people getting into politics in a way that will actually get views and get clicks and grab their attention that is uh that is the question indeed yeah um, i i i have to say I, I love your phrasing on this because i think it is um almost implicitly a question of branding uh, mm -hmm. that you are uh you know within the current system you are trying to market people a more compelling narrative you and, have to you know, sell this shit you know that you're writing yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's obviously it doesn't it doesn't end at that, you know, no one is uh, doing this purely to, uh, to to have like a media organization, but um, the outreach has to happen somehow. And it seems that given all the current circumstances, it's pretty much going to happen, have to happen online just for the scale and um, the crowdfunding aspect. And, uh, you know, it should not surprise anyone that the class war does not often secure venture capital. Uh, investment. So um, yeah, generally this question of media, uh, maybe you could, we could call it like a manufactured consent for today. Um, there is, you know, it's a pretty specific circumstance that we find ourselves in. And I think it is constantly surprising to people the degree of progressivism that uh, contemporary finance capitalism has been able to tolerate. Uh, so 
you know, uh, just a few years ago, really, I mean, there's been no period, um, you know, as being a lifelong progressive, um, that you had seen these, um, I don't know, maybe like <laughs> Budweiser having the, um, the, the gender identity koozie or whatever it was that they had last year. <laughs> that was, that was unfathomable. That was, you know, this was, uh, all these brands were kind of, uh, you know, upstanding conservative Americana, uh, what have you. And, um, you know, as part of this media landscape, it's been uh, a, a total turnaround. And there's, I think, if, there's a few a few reasons for that. Some of them are, are in good faith, some of them are in bad faith. But, um, you know, generally, uh, whereas those, those issues of social justice may have been an inroads to um, a political or material analysis that was, um, you know, a, a, an inroad to Marxism, essentially, um, it seems to have been interrupted for a variety of reasons. And so if you were to accept this funnel analogy of a broad network of diffuse messaging and recruitment over time that is progressively narrowed and clarified into a set of ideas, um, it seems to be in our current media ecosystem that there's a pretty big lap or there, uh, a, um, a gap or, or a, um, um, a missing link in the chain between these you know, very popular, abundantly popular and accessible narratives of social justice uh, that are occurring online and the subsequent material follow-up in that you will very often find people um, who end up inadvertently making uh, uh, arguments in, in support of um, essentially uh, people who work in like media and entertainment positions or the culture sector, but um, do not really seem to help working people uh, in, in the, the large scale of things. Um, yeah. And, and for me, the process that I'd, I'd like to see happen is I guess the best bet for this, which both you and I are very interested in is uh, BreadTube currently, which is, you know, I think quantitatively the largest example of this. It also happens to be just strategically in the article, um, the most accessible uh, way to make this argument because the the funnel has been so thoroughly mapped for the right wing stuff. I do think also just to and sorry I realize this, this is a long route but this is quite a quite a complicated topic that's that's all baked in together. But um, you know there is this problem of like what the platform wants from you that it wants to kind of set people off into these balkanized groups uh, where they fight between each other and rather than creating this like broad. Um, coalition that would be that would lead to a, a kind of class consciousness um, and, and, and eventually political action. Um, what seems to be um, what seems to be the the most important thing to learn from what happened in the last few years about this right wing funnel is that the guys who came out of that, the guys who went down the rabbit hole, came out the other side as these far right lunatics. Um, they hate social media. Like everything, <laughs> everything that they believe is not an intended byproduct of the way these platforms are set up. Um, you know, so there we could say generally these American social media platforms are culturally left and economically right. You know, this is a very mm -hmm. low resolution analysis, but the emergent American nationalist right is culturally right and economically left. So it's a total inversion of what the platform intends to mm. shape these subjects as. And I want to take that as an indication that you can build counter hegemonic movements through the current uh, system of social media. I think that's, you know, it's very dangerous, obviously, because these guys are a huge threat. But I think this is an indication that it is possible to do. And so I'm trying to figure out how to do it. 
yeah same here shit yeah that's the that's the idea um can i can i ask on this uh, uh topic sorry if this is a little bit of an adjacent uh thing tell me if it's oh, too no, much go of ahead. a tangent but um it was just it was such a uh, a pleasure to come across your channel and in doing this research uh because it seems like you're into all of like the stuff that i think is really cool and the stuff that i i would like a lot of other people to be into um so i'm curious i mean obviously like you've had your own political journey through this and part of what you're doing now is um I guess doing political education really, and, and kind of, you know, spreading, spreading the word of the things that were, um, you know, that you found most important, but I'm curious, um, if maybe you would just give me a bit of an orientation of how you found your way into this stuff, because I think relatively these topics or this cluster of topics is kind of a, um, the minority opinion on social media, it seems. So I'm just curious of like how you found your way to it, because I'd like to be able to replicate that for a bigger audience, you know? Uh, oh my god, sorry. Yes, I'm in an important call right now. So I'll be right there. Oh, we, we can cut too. We're not. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, but no, yeah, I think that is super interesting. Um, but and yeah, that's the thing for me is just like, um, that's the interesting part about it is like, um, how, how do we, how do we like get people here? Because like my thing. And like what's so like or sorry is your question like how did i get started on the youtube yeah you know just generally like um how did you find your way to youtube how did you find your way to mark fisher that kind of stuff okay yeah 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 and no mark fisher man and also let me just say real quick that meme with fucking jared leto joker capitalist realism <laughs> that is the funniest shit i have i don't know why but that is so great but anyway um um yeah um i guess so like i've been in i've been generally kind of into like marxism and i was more into film and this is like all the way back to 2014 like 2012 i was like watching like fucking vice you know that went back before they are this huge fucking liberal um you know thing that they are now and they are like kind of cool and um for me, it was just like the majority of a lot of these people. It's like 2016 is whenever I, you know, it was like uh like 2014. I was is that was whenever I started to write. I was like in the film and I start. I wanted to write this um this like it was kind of be like a short film. I kind of at one point I was turning into a show that I was like a pitching to Adult Swim or whatever. It was fucking stupid, but anyway, mm -hmm. um, it was kind of just about politics and it was 2014 and it was cringe or whatever. But it was about like uh weed and rap music or whatever and kind of internet culture i was super interested in internet culture even back then and then in 2016 all of those all of those interests started to become more like like i really just cared about the politics like um all of the other kind of stuff kind of i got less interested in. i got more and more interested in in, in politics and then i'd kind of i'd like i'd like write you know, I had this this now deleted Medium account where I'd like write and I've kind of, you know, met some friends through my writing or whatever. I'd write about uh, movies and and uh, shit like that and and like DMT and acid and like uh, Terrence McKenna and kind of goofy shit like that. And then um, by 2016, I was really writing about politics a lot. You know, I didn't really have an audience, though. Um, and then someone was like one of my one of my friends who I met through him reading my work and uh he's kind of a friend of mine um he was he was like yo you know you need to get on this bread tube thing you know just like just turn these 
these essays into, into video form and just record yourself fucking reading out the script. And he was like, I promise you, you'll get more views or whatever. Or you're like, you'll just get more people looking at your stuff. So I did that in like August of 2019, I believe. Um, and ever since then, I've been way more into like just online in general. So like that's kind of that there's kind of like for my for my story, I guess it's just there's three big dates. 2014 generally is kind of when I kind of got into uh politics and i was like reading the communist manifesto or whatever like kind of you know just generally in the 2016 is the time where i really started to focus more on the politics itself and then by 2019 i was you know reading a lot of you know mo like reading theory and shit uh uh louis althusser foucault adolf reed and then i just i, I just made my channel in in 2019 and uh I just never, never guessed. I never would have thought that that anyone would care for what I was saying. And um, surprisingly enough, people really fucked with it. And I've just been going from there. Yeah, 2019 in the YouTube shit. And it was just like, you know, I had, I had, I have like friends who are like, I mean, these people are like, you know, older, older guys or they've been to college and shit and they're out of college and they would like write these medium articles that they spent fucking months on and like five people will read them, right? <laughs> but right, but right. the thing was with the youtube is it gave it gave it, it was a platform for which you can just get your your voice heard by a lot more people and i hated the idea of becoming a youtuber that was like the most cringe shit i could possibly think of um and you know i guess i just did it i finally could because i was thinking about doing it for like a whole year before i did it and i finally was like fuck it i'll 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 do it and i i slowly learned how to make the videos better and better my writing kind of got better and um yeah and i and the thing is it's just like uh you know like i'd i'd watch i'd watch like bread tube videos and shit like that in like 2017 2016 and i would realize like whoa if i didn't watch this video I wouldn't I wouldn't have maybe like got into Deleuze the Guattari and I wouldn't have found Mark Fisher. And if I wouldn't have read capitalist realism, my whole life would be different. Totally. So I was like, whoa, you know, maybe, you know, if I make a video, even even if it doesn't get that many views, maybe someone is like, you know, subconsciously learning about interesting shit and important shit. And they might, you know, do something with it, you know. And I've had people actually message me and tell me that, you know, I've changed their minds uh, politically. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating what happens at the scale of social media. Um, I think it's maybe it's just part of uh, just being human that, you know, our, our brains really have a difficult time comprehending um, you know, what it really means to talk to that many thousands of people at a time. Yeah. Because it's also it's also part of maybe a uh, occupational hazard. I'm sure that's the wrong phrase to use, but when you're super familiar with these topics, you have internalized so much that you f you forget how revelatory these ideas were the first time you encountered them, mm -hmm. and you're kind of at like you know you're at letter Z, and uh, you know your audience is only at letter A, and you have yeah. to just you know sometimes like just hand them a link, and um, YouTube really does seem to be just quantitatively the reach of this stuff is really really significant, and that alone demands that it has to be taken into consideration. Um, you know the the total readership of uh, all of these articles is, um, you know, 
obviously, obviously much less uh, than, you know, a, a few million views on some of the bigger videos. Um, yeah, yeah, which is, you know, I guess something that me being an artist and having made stuff online and having done viral things in the past, like I had always known, but um, similar to you, I think probably to everyone in 2016, there is this just massive rupture where all of this stuff is real in a way that is not just interesting or theoretical or speculative, but it's actually happening <laughs> uh, and it's happening to, to politics and the way that, um, uh, previously, you know, bands and uh, you know, all types of cultural content had had uh, these viral surges. But um, yeah, the, the all of the cultural narrative just moves into the total circus <laughs> of the, the 2016 election. And it seems to have been just perpetually stuck in that news cycle ever since. So I'm, I'm hopeful that that uh, is presenting the opportunity as, as, as the broadest net of the uh, politicization funnel that our, you know, entire social media experience is just uh, littered with political content all night and day. Um, and maybe, maybe your experience outside in the, uh, the sky and the atmosphere right now, if you're on the West coast is also <laughs> uh, immediately politicizing and impossible to ignore. Uh, you know, it's coming at us from a variety of different angles. Oh yeah. Um, also, I was going to ask you, when did you first um, get interested in Mark Fisher's work and how does it uh, influence your own work? Yeah, he's really, he's such a, um, he's such a uh, incredible influence on my way of thinking about this stuff. Yeah, same here. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember when I first got in. I think it was, it was through the art world where a, a friend, uh, an artist, and a collaborator sent me a PDF of capitalist realism. This is years ago, maybe in 2013 or something like that. Oh, no um, shit. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, you know, but, but these are not really unfamiliar names in the art world. Uh, you know, there's like a cluster of people around uh, goldsmiths and efflux and you know, all of these types of... Um, uh, publications that, you know, talk about these, you know, crazy kooky left-wing ideas, but it's all totally just academic and in the art world and none of it is real or really a threat or whatever. Um, so I was always, you know, a, a generally aware of those things and I was, I was educated as an artist and, um, you know, was introduced to theory and, and whatnot, but it wasn't until I saw the way that young people were reacting to our media landscape, specifically our social media landscape, in around that time of 2016, that something kind of broke in my uh, my way of understanding this world. And I was like, wait, this stuff is like, it's not just something that has to be on the back burner, like a critical lens that you bring to everything that, you know, as, as artists, we are trained to um, ruthlessly criticize everything and call it neoliberalism, um, <laughs> which is, you know, most often accurate. But, Super real, yeah. Yeah, but, but there was a way, you know, when I saw people around the age of like 13 getting into Marxism in like a serious way, like, like a David Harvey type of way that they would do his online classes or something. I was like, Oh shit, this is actually something real and something different is happening here. Um, and you know, I guess I've spent the next few years trying to investigate how that process happens. Uh, cause it's endlessly fascinating. Yeah. For me, I guess I first read it in like 2014, 2015, um capitalist realism um and then it was not until recently like 2016 2017 um 
uh, is whenever I really realized this kind of connection um, between his idea, like I really realized like this kind of, uh, you know, he, he had this idea of re reflexive impotence. Um, and then it's like, what that has to do with kind of like this, um, this new kind of uh, feeling, you know, it's like this kind of postmodern, you know, but in today's sense, you know, post postmodern or whatever, but it's kind of like this post irony internet culture. And it's like, you know, a, a lot of people talk about how like memes now, like at first there was like ironic memes and then now memes are so, you know, like the, 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 the cycle of it is so crazy that it's like, we went from irony to now we're in post irony. Now it's actually sincere in a certain way. And, um, it was just like, I felt like it was just like an absolute refusal or like an absolute, like, um, like, like they cannot, they just like a lot of, a lot of these memes and, 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 you know, younger people, they just cannot um, say anything uh, sincerely. And like, when, when you're dealing with politics, a lot of it is very real. A lot of these people are really like, look, I care about people dying, you know, and I want to help. Um, but it's just so hard to say that without being cringe or whatever, you know, and it's like, it's just so, it's so post ironic. And it reminds me of, uh, cause you know, like Mark Fisher talks about his students or whatever and how, mm -hmm. you know, like he, he sees like this idea of reflexive impotence in them where it's like, you know, he's, you know, he says like my students want to learn about Nietzsche in the same way they get a, a cheeseburger. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, you know, it's been so long since, you know, like the Soviet union fell and shit like that that it's like we're now in a point culturally where uh, I guess it's like people are so depressed um, that they feel like, you know, it's, it's kind of hopeless. And I feel like you can kind of see that in the culture and in the memes. Um, and that's what really got me interested in um, focusing on Mark Fisher um, in my work, like really focusing on him. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, I mean, there's so much there. I think um, in general, this trying to dig to the bottom to figure out if something is ironic or sincere or whatever, it's, it's really, uh, it's really never ending. And it's a different case for, for everybody. And it's a different case for every post, you know, so uh, you, you could probably break it down of like, you know, 50, 50, 80, 20, you know, is this guy for real? Um, I mean, needless to say, there's really no internet political movement that is too fringe or too ridiculous that there isn't someone who earnestly and unironically believes this. Uh, and that is part of the, uh, the, the ideologies that you see pop up of all of these ridiculously, uh, you know, and it's kind of self-contradictory belief systems like uh, libertarian monarchism uh, off the top of my head. But, but then, you know, you dig and these things are actually kind of real in some fringe corner and whatnot. Um, I think specifically with the influence of uh, Fisher, what he does so, so well is um, he really describes how it feels to live under neoliberalism and the politicization of mental health and the the kind of subjective experience of, of operating in this, you know, super free market, but also tightly bureaucratic system. Um, and that has been, you know, I, I guess an, uh, a really significant influence on, on me and writing about uh, social media, uh, particularly of like how it how it feels to be um, in the newsfeed <laughs> and, and get your uh, become um, shaped by this content and whatnot. Um, I, I think though there's uh, yeah, Fisher is 
uh, an important um, influence for for a number of different reasons. I think the other thing that is uh, that I take inspiration from, and I think a lot of other people do, is that he his willingness to bring a political analysis to something that you previously might not have considered was even political content. So for him, famously, this would be the example of music. Uh, oh, yeah, like Burial or whatever that album is or that that's like musician. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, lots of writings and musings on um, on, on music and, and related subjects, uh, you know, and so I, I've tried to bring that to things like video games and things like social media and whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, really... Um, you know, I, I can't cite his stuff enough. I think I, I repost those memes <laughs> so much just because uh, it was such a formative influence for me. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's just good for people to be acquainted with that kind of thinking. Oh, yeah. Like, I think Mark Fisher also is like a, like, if there was anyone, if there was any, like, every time someone asked me, like, asked me, you know, what book they should read or whatever, I kind of lazily just tell them capitalist realism, funnily enough. Like, I think a lot of people do that. Um, but it's just like, man, he really was, was on, on like a lot of things on a lot of different levels. Um, he was really like incredibly influential and, and correct about a lot of things. Um, and like, oh my God. So like, like, uh, like all the, all the things he predicted too, you know what I'm saying? Like, like shit that he wrote about in 2009 and how it's like only gotten worse from there. Um, but uh, in your piece, like, and also like the thing, the thing about um, uh, Fisher and a lot of like topics with like music and stuff is that you can kind of, you know, someone will click on a video because they want to, because they want to, you know, like, you know, learn about a certain, a certain music or, or, or a movie that they liked. And then they watch the video and they kind of go down this rabbit hole of like, you can, you can make a video about uncut gems or whatever and uh put like political analysis in it so like someone can be apolitical or whatever and then watch the uncut gems video um and then you know uh maybe maybe is convinced of a, a of a few political um opin opinions or whatever but um uh in your and i think that's super interesting that's also what i've tried to like do research on is like how can we kind of uh get people and i think mark fisher's work is so true to that because it's like he talks about like depression and like real shit that people are going through and he gives it a political um, explanation. And um, I think that's really useful for getting people like down the pipeline or whatever for the left, like your article mentions, it's like, you know, like the point of your article is kind of um, how it's like uh, where a lot of people, a lot of research is going in is, you know, a lot of research is dedicated to mapping out the right wing pipeline, but not so much for the left wing pipeline. Right. Yeah, yeah, I'm. Uh, but um, like, like, yeah. But my question is like, why do you think that is? And um, you know, because I have some ideas. But uh, what are some ways you think we can learn more about the left wing pipeline? And like, what can we? How 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 can we put that to use? Yeah, that's um. Well, you've you've stumbled on the. Uh, <laughs> I think one of the hidden arguments in the piece uh, is that. Um, you know, why do we know so much about these right-wing pipelines? Um, it's because the emergent uh, American nationalist movement, uh, specifically, I think a lot of these things are, are American. Um, this stuff really is a threat to the existing order. You know, um, it's not the type of threat that I'd like to pose to the existing order. It's not the future that I'd like. But um, 
you know, the organizations that produce these studies and the platforms themselves, um, you know, are broadly aligned in uh, with, I guess, like the, the Democrat uh, plan of, of doing harm reduction, right? I mean, uh, it, we wouldn't expect uh, Alphabet to be a, you know, radical communist organization or, or anything. So, right. um, you know, they really don't have an interest in mapping this stuff. You know, this this is has to be mapped by people who are very aware of social media, very engaged in social media, and are, you know, explicitly left leaning because no one else is going to do it for us. Uh, so I thought, you know, me, my role as an artist, um, artists are kind of allowed to float crazy, radical ideas, and it doesn't seem like a threat. Um, you know, because that's the the art world is kind of defanged in a way that everything is just. Uh, you know, an, an experiment and, and can be uh, can be brushed off quite easily. So that puts me in the unique position where I can, you know, say, I think pretty radical things on a very mainstream platform. And there's very little risk of blowback because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a guy who makes pictures that hang on a wall and, uh, and, and that's about it. Um, I mean, the, the, the one thing maybe to, um, um, I, I think we would be remiss to, to not mention this is that, um, the idea of, of Fisher's lost futures and the, the slow cancellation of the future uh, and hauntology and this the, the kind of the world that could have been were it not for the neoliberal turn uh, that, we, that we seem to find ourselves like just stuck in this um, um, endless re repetition of 80s aesthetics and, and, and whatnot and this nostalgia for that, mm -hmm. that period. Um, you know, some of those things are really real in a way that can't be steered out of. Like the climate catastrophe, the impending devastation of that is uh, is, is quite serious and does pose a pretty significant finite limit on, you know, fully automated luxury space communism and whatnot. Uh, so I think if you can start from Fisher, if you can start from, uh, you know, having a this idea of a utopian vision that was lost or derailed somewhere. Uh, and then you can kind of work your way backwards from that. Um, that revitalization of the political imagination, I think is specifically the thing that is missing from our contemporary, uh, you know, online social media landscape and that um, no one really feels optimistic about anything right now, right? The time machine memes, the, uh, oh, you just bumped your head and you woke up. Like everyone is trying oh. to escape. <laughs> Yeah, current, I literally yeah. was. I literally have that written down. Those two exact memes: the the finally you're awake one, where it's like, oh, you bumped your head, and the time machine one. I literally have that. Um, and I was like, man, these things seem to just like speak to some kind of like very depressing idea that they just want to get mm -hmm. the fuck out of now. Like they like they just don't like being alive today. You know, whether if it's like going back in the future, or I mean, like back in the past or into the future. Um. It just feels like an like just not being not wanting to be in our contemporary time. Um, yeah, and th there's you know I think the thing that we can learn through Fisher is that there's always an underlying material cause for why these cultural narratives tend to latch on to people or why people tend to latch on to them. You know, if we if we take that material analysis, then we can do a lot better for understanding why these cultural trends are on the rise that they're on. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean, um, that's, I, I think, maybe maybe the most important takeaway for the relevance of his work right now. Yeah, no, that's a really good connection. Like his idea of like lost futures and this kind of like 
uh, time machine meme and the finally you're awake meme. Wow. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. It's when I was watching these spaces, uh, maybe, maybe a year ago now or so at a certain point, um, people started to post just pictures of like a sci-fi landscape. Like it would be like this, um, uh, you know, a, a high tech city utopia, like a techno utopia. Are you talking about like the like if if LMAO still made music, <laughs> this is what yeah. society would look like? Things things like that for sure. But even preceding that in the mainstream, the political accounts I would follow would just post the landscapes with no pictures. And sometimes hmm. they would be a dystopia where it's like overgrown and the city is crumbling. It looks like something from a zombie apocalypse or what have you. But these images all come from. Um, role-playing games they come from sci-fi they come from fantasy and what I the way that I started to connect this was that um, you know these seemingly very silly political accounts that are mostly run by you know, shithead teenagers I say that endearingly because uh, I really do enjoy what they do and respect it um, but this 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 kind of RPG aesthetic was a way of jumpstarting the political imagination that they had a future to even imagine and they could use that to then calculate their political activity in the present. So, uh, you know, those images, which I was tempted at the beginning to dismiss because it was, you know, some silly like Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons or Call of Cthulhu or, or whatever, like type of uh, <laughs> silly, you know, aesthetic, whatever, um, you know, that stuff isn't political. Once you bring the kind of the lessons that we learned from Fisher, it's like, oh, actually, wait, this stuff is super important. And, and LARP and role playing and all of these things like that is like this utopian kernel of the political imagination, like maybe we should really be paying attention to it. And when you when you take that kind of a lens to it, the LARPy online silly internet stuff and the uh, you know the IRL and the URL politics, it does seem to be much closer to a circle than a Venn diagram uh, when you look at it that way. Oh yeah, and Frederick James Frederick Jameson um, mm -hmm. has some quote where he's like. Like uh, like the fiction and like the movies, like um, if you really analyze these things and like the the dystopian novels or whatever, like they're super potent in the kind of ideas of like expressing, um, like 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 expressing uh political opinions in the modern time or express expressing um certain things that we disagree with right now, uh. Like you know, uh, Starship Troopers and all of that. It's like mm -hmm. um, these these uh, Frederick Jameson. Like the quote goes something like, you know, these dystopian these dystopian uh, novels or whatever these dystopian movies are supposed to be a critique of modern society. Um, and it's just like the idea of like uh, um, like what the future is going to be like or whatever. Um, but it's kind of like in a way in which we can critique. Uh, like modern um, or contemporary political problems or issues that we have. And you can just like see that in like the dystopian, you know, like Blade Runner 19, that like, came out in, like the 1980s or whatever. And like, it is super like lost future kind of like Mark Fisher type mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and like, you know, Mark Fisher was even very heavily influenced by uh, Frederick Jameson. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, Jameson is um, is also a very very significant influence, and um, especially the uh, um, American Utopia, the Universal Army, is a is a personal favorite. Um, I I think um, the way that I tend to connect this stuff to the the memosphere now in general is that um, 
you know, you see the Blade Runner memes, you see, uh, you know, certainly a lot of these young people uh, came through the game world and now are into the world of politics. Um, mm -hmm. But it seems, you know, in a weird roundabout way that the game world, um, I think in some unexpected ways, very adequately prepared people for what political activity should have been the whole time. And <laughs> um, that, you know, when you... Um, when you exist in these online spaces, whether it's message boards or it's a guild or, or you know, whatever in the, the, the simulated world, um, these things have their own structures of governance that all needed to be sandboxed uh, inside of the game or on the message board. So sometimes it's total anarchy. Sometimes it's just, you know, every man for himself and just uh, chaos reigns or whatnot. But sometimes they have very rigorous and democratic systems. Uh, and, I mean, there, there's corporate systems, uh, you know, like uh, EVE Online is, is maybe the most prominent example. But then there are also all of these other really fascinating layers. And um, what you realize is that... Um, People were, were, I guess, <laughs> in in a way that seems totally divorced from the real world, actually trying on a lot of uh, a lot of political ideas. Uh, you see things things like this being played out in Minecraft. Uh, a friend of mine was in a, 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 a server that they decided to nationalize all of the farms, um, not for ideological reasons, but just because that was the greatest way to harness the productivity of the server. And Whoa. it's actually, it's very fascinating because a lot of these, you know, gamer types are kind of, you know, right-wing libertarians <laughs> or worse, but they end up reinventing these left-wing economic systems uh, when they engage in the sandbox that is, you know, only in the game world, but outside of you know, ideology and politics of the real world. So um, it has been kind of this back door into all of the stuff that Jameson talks about when he, when he discusses utopia. Um, so that's, you know, uh, been, <laughs> I guess, my own personal rabbit hole and curiosity that I've been uh, diving down for the past few years now. Yeah, that's actually incredibly interesting. It sounds like some like John Rawls type shit. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Like, like the idea of like, now you can actually simulate a kind of little economy or whatever in a video game. And it's like people are subconsciously making like communism or whatever. That's really interesting. Um, and I, that also plays in kind of like this idea of like, you know, you mentioned you also have a piece, um, uh, irony politics and uh, Gen Z, right? Mm -hmm. And um you mentioned even in there, like, uh, this, like, need for a materialist left. You know, um, you mentioned how, like, the cultural shifts and the generational realignment in the last years has given us strong evidence that we need a materialist left. And um, I, that's really the focus of my work is, like, how can we bring about this materialist left and, you know, it's like uh, go against neoliberalism and kind of, like, uh, some of these cultural issues or whatever. Um, but, you know, in, in, in like in, in your opinion or like in your idea, like how how much does politogram or, or maybe even thing like, you know, politogram is more explicit, but maybe even something like TikTok. How can how can TikTok maybe even be used uh, to bring about this materialist left? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, TikTok is uh, it's really a rat's nest of, of, of issues. I, I mean, I wrote about TikTok in December of 2018 really during the viral peak when it when it skyrocketed to number one in the app store and and everyone had never heard of this thing i mean it is a very 
specific you really hit the nail on the head on that with that piece yeah is that the same one that got uh mentioned by paul joseph watson that that is the one yeah yeah (laughs) um who he later made a video stealing fisher's argument about oh um, yeah all music sounds the same and 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 whatnot yeah i mean a lot of things were didn't he steal something from um the slow cancellation of the future or whatever yeah, yeah, it um, was. Um, I, I think it was about pop music and how everything today sounds the same. I mean, it's a pretty common take uh, now, but it, I mean, he, you know, a lot of these kind of right wing grifters have a way of repackaging a left wing analysis of uh, cultural stagnation. Yeah, because they're then, saying real shit, yeah. too. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's, <laughs> it's kind of real. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing is like, there's little bits of truth in, in it. And, you know, I think like in your piece, you're kind of talking about how like he, you know, like, oh, it was kind of awkward how he took your piece and kind of rec- made it into kind of something else, you kind of say. But, you know, Paul Joseph Watson, you know, he's fucking crazy or whatever. He has, you know, stupid opinions or whatever. But, you know, watching that video where he mentions, you know, your your piece, he's, I really see why he's kind of dangerous is because he's talking about real shit. Like he, like that, that is kind of real that it's like, you know, like these, these like TikTok teens or whatever, they're not even really more conservative than millennials or whatever. They just want to be whatever the opposite of millennial liberalism is. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's just kind of like this idea of like being fed up of this kind of liberalism that's, that's been kind of really, uh, solidified by the millennial generation. Um, and oh my, there was some fucking meme that came out in like 2017. It was literally the funniest shit. One of my favorite memes. It was like, you know, generation Z versus millennials. And like on the millennials, it was like, like, oh, thanks. Harry Potter is political or whatever on millennial. <laughs> and like, and then, and on the Gen Z, it was like, um, they think even Chapo Trap House is liberal. Yeah, and I, I was like, that, that's yeah. so fucking funny, you know, cause like Chapo <laughs> Trap House is supposed to be like this dirt bag kind of thing or whatever. But it's like, you know, Gen Z, they even think Chapo is liberal, you know, and it's like, um, that's pretty I correct. Def- I, yeah, they they really do think that way. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're a lot more polarized and kind of radical than the previous generation. And obviously, I kind of just think that's, you know, getting your news and your politics from social media. You're less likely to run into pieces of information that you disagree with. Um, and you're more likely to to fall to, to to kind of you know jump on one polar side or the other yeah i think that was one of the primary motivations for the piece i mean i felt a you know a, a responsibility to respond when your work is uh you know um appropriated in that way i guess is the right phrase but um i mean it is it is really a fascinating kind of thing because i mean it's not like he reads like a tiny quote it's like he reads like three or four minutes of it it's like like a good portion of the video is just my my text which is uh he kind of just yeah, yeah. i kind of i take that as a win by the way you know that no, i that was I great that's what i kind of reading the yeah <laughs> that's what i kind of was trying to say is like no he's actually kind of saying some real shit here and i think there definitely has to be out of those millions of subscribers there has to be some people that don't are not fully fucking Nazi brained or whatever. And they, they're kind of like, Whoa, who's this Joshua Citarella guy? You know, he's saying some real shit here. I might look into him and then boom, they're now more of a leftist and you know, the pipeline or whatever. So I actually think that's actually, you know, positive. It, it there very well could be people uh, in that. I mean, I think with the scale, I mean, there of just that has kind to of be stuff, statistically. 
people yeah statistically there are but it i mean it's probably i would suspect the edge case uh for it unfortunately but i think the um the most important thing to respond to is that generally his thesis was that um gen z was moving to the right and and my way of responding is like well that's true but it's half the story because gen z is just more politically polarized than previous generations because of uh essentially all the things that we've been talking about in this um uh in the podcast so far right um i mean the one of the things that i thought was um you know, this this necessary part of the puzzle was to bring, you know, the Fisher-inspired political analysis to social media itself. Um, and so one of the things that I, I uh, have to um, uh, give credit to as an inspiration is uh, Fred Turner um, and, and Nora Khan, who is um, uh, an artist, but they have a really wonderful conversation that I think was on um, O32C a few years ago. I put it on the syllabus for my students, but generally... Um, Fred Turner's work is about the history of Silicon Valley. His um, uh, very famous book is called From Counterculture to Cyberculture, which is the story of the 60s and 70s communes of California through the, um, the whole Earth catalog, through Stuart Brand, into the emergent uh, hacker scene of the 80s and 90s, into these ideas of cyber utopianism uh, and cybernetics. It's this very complicated, very layered belief system. But the way the way that you trace all these things back is that there are um, pretty direct through lines of the ideological influences for the uh, 68 communes to the early Silicon Valley of these Randian heroes that uh, um, you know, believed in the uh, utopian connected societies, and then into the, you know, the seed of Silicon Valley that is also tied up in the, um, the military industrial complex in a very interesting way, and that it's literally built over uh, where a lot of those warehouses used to be. Um, but some of the, it's not just like the books that they reference, it's literally just some of the same people who lived in communes and then became venture capitalists in the early days of Silicon Valley. So um, the way that he brought this ideological analysis or this influence, um, this, uh, ana this analysis of the ideological influences to the tech, to this very dry, very material, mechanical, diagrammatic type of thing, um, that, that really um, inspired me in writing about TikTok. And, and Nora Khan has a wonderful, uh, the name of her book is eluding me right now, unfortunately, but she was discussing uh, the way that we begin a lot of these MMORPG type of games is that we are this kind of flat plane, this character that is then customized and everyone starts out on this level playing field, absent history, absent any other identity that we literally move through the world in the exact same way. And this is just fundamentally, you know, not the way that the real world works, obviously, but that itself, the very design is uh, a, a kind of inspired by uh, this libertarian worldview that we should all mm. be, uh, you know, um, Friday uh, on, on the island who is, you know, cobbling together, uh, you know, a shelter and he owns these coconuts. And there's this like mythology of laying claim to property rights that are, um, you know, never subject to colonialization or primitive accumulation or any of the necessary violence for those things to have transpired. And that there is like some, you know, mythical level playing field. And that just, I mean, thinking that way, bringing that type of a lens to TikTok, um, I was looking for political connections in the, the diagram 
of how the network related to each other. For me, a lot of that was tied up in the duet chain specifically in late 2018 uh, of this kind of you know, dialectic between collectivity and individuality that, but I mean, the, the duet chain has all but entirely vanished from TikTok and it's a totally different platform now. So unfortunately, um, I've become <laughs> uh, quite annoyed and, and disappointed in, in the way that TikTok has gone. Um, and, and I've said as much at, on various platforms and, and things like that. But um, there was a really, I think, early um, potential for collectivity on TikTok specifically that did not resemble the more competitive bootstrapping individualist uh, platforms of stuff like Facebook or Instagram or, or Twitter, perhaps. Yeah, that is. Yeah. And, and it's also really funny because it's like there's something with like libertarians. They have this like real there's like some pattern where these people really have like no concept of history. You know, <laughs> yeah. I guess like I guess like Marxists, like the whole thing of Marxism is like, you know, historical materialism, like understanding how, you know, these like nations and these and like the economy has uh, developed through primitive accumulation and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, there's something really, and it's also like, I think you mentioned, you know, a lot of these like libertarian Marxism, a lot of these wacky ideas that have something to do with like anarcho-capitalism or whatever. Um, a lot of them seem to like have an, have like a lack of historical understanding. Um, yeah, there's but, a great meme that satirizes this of just the, I, I forget the card game, but it's, it's something like, um, uh, like uh, a seizing property violates the NAP. And then the, the, the counter card for that is like, how did they get the property in the first place? It's, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the belief system is kind of like a two sentence punchline, but a lot of people who are in the sandbox and very young will, you know, starting from being, you know, subjectivized as a, as, as a liberal, uh, will just begin at property rights as like, you know, uh, diagramming out their political utopia. So I think I'm sympathetic to the ANCAP stuff uh, on the early side, but um, obviously, yeah, there's a, <laughs> a, a no idea of, of, of history um, uh, in that analysis. Yeah. And um, do you think you can talk just a little bit about your syllabus thing that you're doing and you have like students who you have a some something with patreon that people uh pay to for some syllabus can you talk a little bit about that sure yeah i was um i mean to be honest uh surprised about um how interested people were about it i uh you know generally i mean i'm an artist i'm an educator uh and, and i teach at a few schools and you teach um, i do i do yes oh really uh, yeah generally i mean um you know, uh, BFA, some MFA students. Um, yeah. And, and they're all, you know, visual art, many of them photography, which is my own background, but uh, a lot of them interdisciplinary or interested in digital stuff. But, yeah. Cause I think that is incredibly interesting and cool how you have like this syllabus thing where people can take like online classes, you know, they just have to be interested in what, in what you're doing and you, and also for you, you know, and like, uh, I, I, I have a lot of listeners who, are probably also trying to get involved and do stuff like that. And I think that's incredibly interesting and, and, and important for like how people get political education in the future. Mm -hmm. I should be, I should be clear though. Um, just there's, it's, there's not actually an online class. Like I do, I do streams and podcasts and stuff like that, but this, this syllabus is specifically formulated for just your own independent reading and it's, or know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like a class, sorry, but like, uh, um, the fact that you are writing something that people are interested in enough to, to pay for and learn about is extremely interesting. And I think important. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like, it's five bucks for, you know, 
two semesters worth of links. So it's, you know, worst case scenario, it's not that expensive. And you watch some videos, you like it, you read some stuff, you like it. If you don't, yeah, you didn't lose too much money. So I think it's a fair exchange. Yeah, it's only $5. Like, I think that's, yeah, that's incredibly important. Also, another thing with this internet shit is how a lot of people that I talk to is like, yo, I've learned more from your videos than I have in school. Or just like, I've gotten more interested in this shit through youtube or 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 instagram and stuff um through like way more than traditional school that is the that is essentially the the problem in that people are paying a fortune for a university education and very often there are content producers on social media that are doing it for five dollars at a time and you're getting a much better education so um it's it's a definitely a weird moment we're at right now i think part of making the syllabus available is um just like applying those market forces back onto uh, the, what seems to be a educational system in crisis. Um, unfortunately, we don't really have a student debt bailout or anything like that on the horizon for a long, long while. But um, I would be very surprised if we don't see some version of this. I mean, it seems to be happening already with people offering unaccredited classes over social media about these you know, theoretical subjects and politics and what have you. Yeah, and that's another thing where it's like a big debate where people are like, oh, well, a lot of the YouTube and the kind of political education on the internet or whatever can be bad because it's unstructured or it's unorganized, you know? Um, also true, yeah. And, and I think also I've, because I've, I've, I've actually, this is like the first time where I've seen, like, you're a content creator, Twitch streamer, and you talk about politics, you know? Um, but like fucking Hassan Piker isn't fucking like writing syllabuses and shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think structuring it that way, like that is, I think that's super important. Yeah. Well, I mean, we all have, we all have different roles in it, you know? I mean, I, I don't know if I could do those endurance uh, 12 hour streams and, yeah, and stuff those like are that. Insane. So, um, yeah. But I, I mean, I think generally, you know, the, the problem is that, um, you know, one, there are certain ideas that exist in the institution that are really only a product of them being in the institution and they're completely unrelatable and, and not useful in the outside world. Um, the other problem is that, you know, there's no content producer on social media that you're going to have to pay through the nose for where your social security wages will be, uh, your social security checks will be garnished when you're 65 because of the debt you've accumulated. You oh, know, yeah. so, so um, the cost of an education is really um, uh, something quite significant that that has to be taken into account. And um, given all the institutional bias and whatnot, I, I want to take a kind of thorny position on this as someone who, you know, works in academia, obviously, um, that uh, I, I do want to encourage people. Um, I think I showed my students uh, a year ago, I showed them a video by Zero Books, you know, like a nine minute lecture or whatever. But, um, you know, that was, for me, a very legitimate source that was met the scholarly rigorous requirements of being on the syllabus, uh, did a good job of doing a, you know, quick summary of the material. And then we had an hour conversation about it. Uh, and I think that's, that's totally fair and, uh, and, and very useful. Yeah. Um, and it's also super insane. Like I will have, like, I thought it was more of a, a zoomer thing. I guess it is, but I mean, there'll be plenty of people that aren't zoomers. I'll have, which a lot of actually my audience, um, they are kind of older. If you're talking about politics on the internet, you know, usually there are going to be kind of older, but I will have 
friends of mine who are like 30 years old and they will not read a fucking article. They will only watch videos, you know? And I think a lot of people just, it's easier to kind of put on a video and, and let it play and relax. Um, but I try to tell people like, man, it's not the same thing. Like reading, just reading something, you're going to retain it a lot more than watching a video. Um, like the actual, like, like the technicalities of it and, and, and how we retain information and certain shit like that. I'm, I'm really interested in, um, that's that, that is true too. I mean, there's also, I think some people who are, you know, different types of learners, you know, as an educator, you tend to oh, that's true. realize that's true this well. like some people like they, they, I just couldn't get them to engage in any reading assignments I gave, but then I'd show them like a video or have them listen to a podcast and then they'd uh -huh. repeat like from memory like a minute and 45 seconds of the thing is like, Oh shit. It's just, you know, different inroads for different people. And so wow. the scale of some of this stuff, it's, um, you know, it's pretty significant. So I, I, yeah, I mean, we're obviously, you know, in today's society, spending a lot of time in front of screens. Um, more people are just going to be more adept at getting their information through media. So, I mean, I wonder if, uh, if that tendency might be on the increase. Um, obviously there's no watching videos is no substitute for, for reading stuff, but, uh, no, yeah, you know, that's yeah. one thing to be clear on is like, <laughs> yeah, try to go out and read. Um, alongside the videos 